Well, welcome back. Um, if you weren't with us last week, we are doing uh, the Christmas story in a different, from a different gospel, not the usual one, from the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to John 1. Uh, that's where we'll be today and for the rest of this Christmas season. Uh, but before I get into that, I, um, we're going to be talking about things that we miss today that we don't, may don't, maybe not know that we do miss. Okay, so I'm just going to say something, and I doubt it's on anyone's radar. Bacon grease. We have, we have a few. Uh, so, all right, honest question. Who here has never cooked with bacon grease? Well, really? Everyone here's cooked with bacon grease? I'm going to say, if you're young and you've cooked with bacon grease, I'm, I'm in, I, I, I don't see that happening anymore. Okay, so all right, that, that dates our church a little bit, I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. But who still uses bacon grease? There's a few. Really? That's way more than I thought. All right. You guys don't know this, uh, but bacon grease is one of those godly scent items <laughs> in our world uh, that is not used very much anymore for, you know, whatever reasons, you know. Um, it might shorten your lifespan, but, uh, but if you've never tasted something with bacon grease, you don't know what you're missing. Um, and it's, I went and looked at how many things like used to use bacon grease as one of the key ingredients, biscuits, cornbread, pretty much any kind of soup that's not like broth, you know, like a, a thicker soup. Uh, you, you can go down the route of like mashed potatoes and, and refried beans. Uh, those used to always put little bacon grease in there. And not to mention like, you know, when you're doing vegetables and you want the vegetable, your kids to eat the vegetable, that little bacon grease, they'll love them. Um, chili, uh, all the, ch even like clam chowder used to have bacon grease in it. And of course, one we'd always expect is anything fried. If you fry it in bacon grease, is oh, so delicious. It's, but we don't use it much anymore for health reasons, and we've found substitutes. And you get used to the substitutes, don't you? I don't know of how many of you are like, you know, where's the bacon grease at Albertsons? Um, you know, I, yeah, my grandmother was the kind who, you know, she would literally, whatever she cooked, she, you know, I wash the pan now. She would like drain the pan into a jar and that would go in the fridge and it would be used later for something else. Uh, she didn't throw anything away and most especially bacon grease. But today you can hardly find it. Technically it's unhealthy, um, but I think that's overblown. But, but we have, now we use things like canola oil, flaxseed oil coconut oil, uh, or even applesauce, you know, instead of these kind of things to kind of give it that consistency. I'm going to get in trouble at home because our family does that. Um, we don't use bacon grease. We have substituted it with other things that are considered healthier, but they don't taste as good. And you know that, and I know that. But we endure it because it's a little healthier. 
I would say that we actually, we substitute a lot of things in our world. Just think of the artificial sweetener. We've gotten rid of sugar. Artificial light. Who needs the sun? Fake tan. Fake lips. We have fake hair. You know, um, we do the real things. These are actual poinsettias, but a lot of people, they go for the fake plants, right? Fake grass. Some of my neighbors have the fake grass. Fake flowers. You know, we, we, we just, you know, why, why they didn't never die. Uh, my personal favorite is pleather. Uh, is, remember, you know, instead of using actual leather, you had that pleather thing. You'd be surprised how many things that we've substituted for the real deal in our world. And today, I want to focus on that because we can do the very same thing at Christmas. The whole big buildup to say, sometimes in Christmas, instead of making it about the birth of Christ, we can substitute it and make it about all kinds of other things. This passage today, there's an interesting, in, in John, there's an interesting little break in there. You know, it talks about in the beginning, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and it goes through that. Uh, and then verse 14, it said, the Word became flesh. It's this whole story of how Christ became uh, flesh. He became, he became man so that he could live and dwell with us. The Christmas story. But in, in the midst of this passage, there's this interesting little kind of like turn, strange kind of addition. You could honestly take out verses 6 through 8 and read it all the way through, and you would not notice anything's different. But there's this little portion, uh, verse 6, it said, there was a man sent from God whose name, and you would think at this point, you say, whose name was Jesus, right? But no, it says, whose name was John. You're like, wait, what? Who, why are we talking about John here? And he, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. That makes verse 9 a little bit more understandable because it says the true light, and that's not just an emphasis. It's not just saying, oh, the true light, the pure light. It's talking about the actual light, the real light was still coming. So, so you have to realize, why would this passage all of a sudden take this break and talk about John the Baptist of all people? Why? Why not stay focused on Jesus and on this deity become man? Well, the reason the passage focuses and just for a little moment turns to John is because the tendency is often to substitute something good for something that's even better. You see, John the Baptist was not just, and we think of John the Baptist as just this guy who paved the way for Jesus. But before Jesus arrived, John the Baptist was doing, he was an outstanding preacher because people are going out the desert to go hear this guy. He's baptizing people. There's a massive revival happening as people are coming. And he's baptizing him for the repentance of sins in the, in, in the Jordan. Uh, he was in full effect like at the level of the prophets of old. People were excited. They hadn't seen a prophet in years and years and years. And here comes this guy, John the Baptist, and people are like, here he is. We're, we're going to get to be able to see. This is finally God is speaking. And so he drew crowds. He had disciples. 
He was clearly, even this passage says, he, there was a man sent from God. He, people knew this was a man sent from God. He was such a good and refreshing thing, but he wasn't the thing. He was a witness. What happens oftentimes, though, is people, when they see something good, they're content and they stop. They say, you know, I, I've gotten, I've gotten that little breath of life. I've gotten that little glimpse of hope, and now I'm fine. I'm good. I, I, I don't need more. And they stop. And that's honestly what people do all the time. Historically, if you go through the history of Israel, you'll see that as God was interacting with His people, this nation, uh, He gave them the law through Moses. He gave them prophets. He gave them the temple. And all of these things, if you read the entirety of your Bible, realize that all of these things were pointing to Jesus, their need for Jesus. You know, the, the law was the basis to say, hey, you cannot be holy on your own. You, it's not enough. The law is good, but you can't keep it. You know, the prophets were always basically telling people to, to you're being unfaithful. Be faithful to your God. And they would speak the word of God. Now, they hated them in the time, but afterwards they would venerate them. The temple was this place where they could meet God and give their sacrifices. But yet even it was, there's only so much it could do for the relationship with God. But yet what you find is that they took those things that God gave them to point to their need for Christ, and they made them the thing in their life. The temple became the most important thing. The law became the most important thing. The prophets became the most important thing. And anything that might substitute for those things, they, they couldn't let go. They couldn't. They, 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 and it says in John 1.11, it says, He came to His own. The people who should have seen in Him and His own people did not receive Him. So you see, there's this tendency and the Israelites, to desire that the things that they've been given be the thing, not the thing that points to something else, but to be the thing. But that tendency doesn't end with them. I think about, you know, in our world today, you still see that habit of people sometimes taking something that God, they, that's good, maybe God has given to them, and they want to make it the thing. Cultures and Traditions oftentimes will, will, will make their, their culture the thing that is the most important thing to them. Well, God gave me my family. God gave me my traditions. God gave me this, this beautiful thing that I feel comfortable, and thus it must be the thing that matters most. I think of people even in, in our, the idea of, you know, in our world today of sitting here saying, you know, we... We have been blessed in so many ways, and we want to remain blessed in so many ways, and we want to continue to, to, to be in this place where we feel like God's hand has been on it, and we would be happy if we were content if this is all we had. We look nostalgically upon our past, our history, our culture, and sometimes we elevate that to a place where we've made it more important than Christ himself. As if, for some way, shape, or form, we would be happy 
if you left us there. And one of the things I know for sure is time does not stand still. And there are things that I love that God has given me. But every morning I wake up and I realize those things are going. And they're, they're not staying. Uh, but sometimes we wish we could just keep them. Hold on to them. Instead of continuing to move forward. So sometimes we can elevate our culture, our traditions, our, our families even to the place of that's all we want from God. Those are good things, aren't they? Yeah, they are. But he wants us to have more. Even things like Christian values and morality. It's interesting today, and I don't know if this has always been the case, but today more than I've ever seen it, the values such as love, compassion, justice, freedom. You have people talking about these values and very much advocating and and fighting for these values, saying this is the most important thing. So much that those values sometimes become their gods. It becomes more important to fight for justice or freedom or love or, or good than it is to share Christ with our world. And so you can see even in that, there are things that God has given us that are good that sometimes end up replacing, substituting what is best. And so we are given this passage, which is this neat little spot where we can see that even if a substitute is a good thing, like John the Baptist, he was a good thing. Um, we can see that sometimes if they could actually speak and share what they want us to do, they would say a few things. Because who could... Who's going to argue against, you know, how can you be against freedom? How can you be against love? How can you be against compassion or justice? When you say, but it's not that simple. People will, it's a hard thing to answer. But if they could speak for themselves, they would say what John the Baptist says. And listen to this. In this passage, when it said John was, a, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. that all might believe in him through him. He was not the light. He came bear witness about the light. In that passage, you'll see that it says witness three times. Three times it says his job was not to be the light. It was to witness to the light. And that word witness, if you're curious, is the same word we use for martyr. Uh, and if you're, if you, you know, we all know what the word martyr means. And if, you, if you're actually a martyr... What you want people to know more than you or your life or your death is you want them to know what you died for. You want them to know your cause, your purpose, what you fought for. And so that's the word witness. That's what it's meaning. It's trying to say, I don't want you to know me. I want you to know what I'm for, what I'm about. A faithful witness does not draw attention to themselves. They draw they, seek, they, they realize that would actually be counterproductive. I'm sure you've done that every now and then. You're trying to 
help someone say, can, can you see like the, look at, look, at the, look at the sunset or something, you know, that's an easy one, but, but look at the stars, look at the bird in the tree, and you're pointing, and people are looking at you like, and you're like, no, no, there, you know, and you're in that situation where you're trying to say, don't look at me, look at where I'm pointing to, that's what a witness is supposed to do, and so you have John, who is this witness to the light, who's come into the world, and he does it so well. John 3, 25 to 30, he says, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and, and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's, he's baptizing and all are going to him. He's talking about Jesus here. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. And you yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The, the friend of the bridegroom who stands hears, hears him, rejoices greatly in the bridegroom's voice. And therefore the joy of mine is now complete. In these famous words, he must increase, but I must decrease. John realized, if, you know, when Jesus came on the scene, he wasn't the, the bride, he wasn't the groom. He was a groomsman. And so he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to be the center of attention. Just a hint, if you're ever best man or, you know, or maid of honor, don't be the center of attention. Yeah, it's supposed to be the bride and the groom, you know, so you would ruin the wedding. But he, he's, he's explaining that that's not my role. My role was to point to him. And, and if you go, and if you, like, start following him, I'm not in competition with him. He wins. Good. Because that's who I wanted you to find anyway. John made it clear that his purpose was to, not to compete with Christ, but to show people who Christ was. But our desire for attention or for our thing to be the most important thing is often what makes things very difficult. And I'll just give you a few examples. It's, there's temptations, and you see it all the time. People say, you know what? It isn't about Christ as much as about being a part of our church. We're the best. And, and, and unless you're here, I'd rather you, you, you be here than find Christ somewhere else. We're, you know, I mean, obviously no one would ever say that, but there's this idea that some people want their ministry, their cause, or maybe their method to be the thing rather than to be happy with just God doing what He's doing wherever He's doing it. If the things that people, that people substitute for Christ could speak, they would say what John said. And here's what he said, John 1.20. He confessed and did not, did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. John 1.35-37, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. John is speaking for everything that we would ever substitute for Christ. Whether it be our nation, our family, our values, our church, anything that we would put in place of Christ, John is saying, if they could speak, they would say, oh, if it's between me and him, choose him. If, 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 if you're going to see which one's Better, choose the better. I'm not him. Don't follow me if you choose to follow him. 
the good thing God gives us, want us to know the giver of those good things rather than just to dwell and be happy or content with just those good things. And so all of this to say that Christmas is no different. I mean, I know that Christmas is a special, wonderful time of year. The lights, the food, the music, we all love it. But it's all pointing to the one who started the whole celebration. It all points to Jesus, and without him, none of it exists. But yet we live in a world where oftentimes people celebrate Christmas without Christ being an a part of it at all. And it's not like that's, there's nothing, like last week I'm trying to say, like there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's just, if it doesn't lead you to Christ, then it came up short. This is not like a, you know, a guilt message. This is a kind of one of those public service announcements. Um, it's a warning. What's one of the most interesting things about Christmas is that for some people it's the best time of year, for other people it's the worst time of year. You guys know that, right? For some, it's all joy, and other people, it's loneliness. And you're like, how in the world does that happen? How can people not be happy at Christmas? Well, the, the reality is, is that because Christmas by itself, without Christ, makes promises it can't keep. It's trying to say joy to the world. It's trying to say peace on earth. It's trying to say, you know, goodwill towards men and all of those lines that we say. It's trying to tell us that you can be happy and bright and cheerful and all of these things. But if it doesn't give you Christ, it can't deliver on those promises. And so many people have gotten to the point where they've gotten through Christmas and they said, that was not what I was hoping for. And they now see Christmas as a time of year in which they struggle. Struggle with the depression and all the... It, it, it's a sobering, and one of the most sobering passages of Scripture, John the Baptist, as he's, he's, as he's sitting, rotting away in a prison, soon to be killed, for unfortunately for entertainment purposes... He sends some of his disciples to Jesus to say, remind me, reaffirm, you're the one, right? This is what he says, Matthew 11, 2-3. Now when John heard in, uh, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. He said to them, are you the one to come or shall we look for another? So there's this part where John the Baptist himself is probably in his deep hole. He's, a, he, he's not, you know, this is, everything's been taken from him. He's about to lose his life. I don't know if he knew that, but he was, he's about to lose his life. He's in a dark place, and what he's looking for is assurance that Christ is who he says he is. Because if Christ is who he says he is, and Jesus answers it not to John, but he goes and tells tell him all the things he needs, all the things I'm fulfilled. Obviously, just kind of great case in which Jesus says, I am the Christ. When John gets that news, he doesn't care anymore that he's sitting in a prison. 
He doesn't care he's going to lose his life. Because what he found and discovered and pointed to was worth it all. And so I say that Christmas without Christ will disappoint, but the other claim is true as well, is that Christmas with Christ will never disappoint. If you find at Christmas that the gifts remind you that the greatest gift that God ever gave was His Son to you, if that's what the gifts mean to you, that you've been given Christ, if the gatherings remind you that you are a part of the family of God of which you've been adopted into, if, if the lights remind you that the darkness will never be able to overcome the light, if the songs are truly sung as worship and thanksgiving and praise for what God has done and that miracle of all miracles that He became a child, if, if, if those are the things, if, if they're actually rooted in Christ, I would make a strong case that you, will, you cannot be disappointed. You will know what it all means, why it all exists, and you'll, that news in and of itself will be the greatest news you will ever find. If you find Christ in Christmas, everything will be the way it was supposed to be. You will see the true light, the real deal. And you will not have fallen for something that is just a substitute that can't replace it. You will have found the true light. Let's pray. Lord, Father, thank you so much for giving us the real deal in your Son. Lord, we thank you that you have granted us the fullness of life, not glimpses, not portions, not parts. But you have given us the greatest of all things. And so, Lord, in, in all of the midst of everything that we're celebrating, may we not forget that it's all about you. It celebrates you. I ask that for everyone in this room today, Lord, that they would see you in everything that is being done, whether decorations, whether parties, everything that's being done, Lord, they would see you. I pray for that for them. Because, Lord, I know that Christmas by itself is its not able. It can't deliver the promises, but you can. You can give us everything we hope for and everything we need. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.